Hi, I'm Dan. I'm a photographer, father and husband, and this is the Booze Break Podcast. This is the show for people like me who find themselves stuck in a loop of drinking more often and in more quantity than they'd like. You're welcome to follow me on my journey to change my relationship with booze and explore ways in which to live a more productive, healthy, fulfilling and alcohol-free lifestyle. Welcome to the Booze Break Podcast. podcast is a diary of my journey taking a break from alcohol as well as looking into different ways to help sustain a break from the booze. We'll be going into the ups and downs as I circumnavigate my way through work, family life and social situations without the hooch. I'll be delving into the benefits of living booze free and tackling subjects such as uh, social pressure, health, identity and alcohol representation in the media. Just a quick warning, there's likely to be some choice language and adult themes peppered throughout this series, so if you're easily offended or have children within earshot, you've been forewarned. Full disclaimer up front, I'm not an expert in any of these fields. My opinions are purely based on my own experiences and a little research. I also want to make it clear that I do not judge anyone based on their relationship with alcohol. Do what you want, drink what you want. But if you're like me and want to change your relationship with booze, whether that be to stop completely, uh, take a break, or just cut down, you're welcome here. Hello, I am Dan and welcome to another episode of the Booze Break Podcast. How are you doing? Uh, Are you taking a booze break as well? If so, get in touch on Facebook or on Instagram and tell me your story. I'd love to connect with you. So at the time of recording this, I am sitting at 60 days alcohol free, uh, which I'm just so pumped about. I'm so excited. This is, uh, and I say this every single time because it's always getting better. Um, I, this is the longest I've ever spent um, alcohol-free since my teens. Um, but I want to share with you today one of the biggest revelations that I've experienced getting to this point. I don't think about drinking anymore. I'll just let that sink in for a second. So when I get home, you know, when I'm at work, whatever, I don't think about picking up a beer or a glass of wine or anything like that. I just get on with it, you know? It's been amazing. During this journey, there's been a a kind of gradient of desire to drink. It started off pretty intense. um, Around the sort of five day to two week mark was probably the worst sort of time frame, as you can imagine. You know, cravings were pretty high. I was, um, you know, kind of, I was still in that kind of habit, in that routine of kind of, you know, daily drinking essentially in the evenings after work. So, after this point, I would um, notice the cravings start to diminish both in frequency and intensity. Um, this gradual slope of desire to drink continued to go down up until this point. And I've noticed for at least the last week that I don't even think about it now. I don't think about drinking really. I feel like at this point, the healthy routines that I've put in place of alcohol have fully in- integrated into my lifestyle. Now, I'm not saying that uh, the desire to drink won't return, and I'm sure my willpower will be tested again, especially as we come out of lockdown. And I've been told by people who I've met in the community who are further along in their sort of alcohol-free journey that it's tempting to get cocky at this stage, which potentially could lead to something like a slip-up. So I'll continue to keep my guard up and protect um, what is for me an awesome achievement. Uh, But for the moment, I'm feeling great and I'm super excited uh, for today's interview. So today I'm talking to Izzy D'Esposito, who is an incredible songwriter and playwright, uh, as well as the host of the beautifully made podcast, Lowercase Sober. In this episode, we touch on Izzy's journey and what led her to a decision to never drink again. 
we talk about sober dating. Uh, we ask the question, does alcohol make you more creative? As well as doing a deep dive into alcohol within the creative community. I'm really excited to share this interview with you. So let's get to it. So Izzy, hello and welcome to the Booze Break Podcast. How are you today? I am good. I'm really excited to be here. What's the weather like over there where you are? Um, it is hot. It's like... Yeah, it's, it's really hot here as well. Yeah, it's like 89 degrees here um, and humid because I'm in upstate New York. So it's the worst kind of heat where it just feels overwhelming every time you step outside. But yeah. Have you got aircon where you are? Yes. And it is blasting in the room that I'm in, <laughs> in case you can it. hear it in the background. Aircon in the in the UK doesn't really exist, um, like because it just it isn't in homes. It's never mm -hmm. really hot enough, like for an, for enough of the year to warrant getting aircon oh, in wow. the house. Um, so we just have windows. We just we just become masters of breeze. Let's get that breeze coming through. Open that window and open that window. You get that breeze. It's amazing. Yeah, here in New York, it's it's interesting because being in the Northeast. Um, in the United States, the weather can change like on a dime. So we all have air conditioning, even though for most of the year, it's cool enough that we don't need it because you literally just never know in the middle of November, it can be like 75 degrees outside. And what do you do then? <laughs> yeah. You know, you could have a diverse range of clothing. That's a, good, yes. that's, a, 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 that's a top tip for living in New York. Yeah. Get a good range. <laughs> so That was a good intro. I like that. Very casual. So uh, before we go on uh, to talk about the, the topics that, that uh, we want to talk about today, can you give us a, a brief introduction in, into who you are, what you do, completely separate from alcohol-related things, just who you are as a person and what you do? Yeah, um, I am a playwright and a musician. Um, I work at various jobs around those two things. Um, I also work in marketing and I have a lot of plants. That's my new hobby is I just have like so many plants. Um, oh, plants, plants yeah. with a T. Plants with a T. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought um, you were just like a planner. Like I've got lots <laughs> of plans to do things. Ooh, that would have been a really slick answer. If that was really what I said. <laughs> um, no, I just like, I've gotten really into um, like rescuing plants from, from like grocery store shelves and things like that taking them home and making them thrive um besides all my theater stuff but yeah I think you really get into gardening you've you've got in nice and early um but as soon as I turned 30 I was like I'm into gardening now that's me uh whereas I used to hate gardening I used to hate anything to do with garden centers anything like that my garden in my house was an absolute wreck until I turned 30 and all of a sudden I'm like, plants. I'd love to just touch on your past um, with alcohol, if, if you yeah. don't mind. Can, can you tell us the earliest memory of drinking? Um, yeah, my earliest memory of me drinking was when I was like eight, nine years old. Oh, wow. My family went to the Culinary Institute of America, which is a culinary school like rather famous culinary school. It's around, it's like in the area where I grew up and they have these really fabulous restaurants there because they're just like the best of the best rising young chefs are like training at this school. 
So sort of everybody in this area goes there for like special occasions. We went there. Um, I forget why, but my parents who don't, who didn't usually drink, um, ordered like really fancy cocktails because it was like a special occasion. And they let me have a sip of them. And I remember one of them was like this like fabulous mojito that was like perfectly made. I didn't know that at the time. I just thought it was like really good. Yeah. But I, that was like my first drink ever. And I think that's very common is this, this thing of to just to experience alcohol from such a young age. And I think that's a really good indication of how accepted it is in, in society and how it just it's so it's so easy to become ingrained in everything that you do, even from from that such a tender age, you know? Yeah. And my house in my household when I was growing up, because I was brought up Quaker. So we didn't drink really. Um, my parents converted to Quakerism. So they they were a little bit Catholic. So they sometimes had drinks. But okay. um uh So I was raised Quaker. We didn't drink a lot in the house. There was no alcohol in the house ever. My dad would drink O'Doul's sometimes, like non-alcoholic beer. Oh, Um, never heard of that. It's, it is a, I guess it's like an American thing, but it is like really bad (laughs) (laughs) and has sort of been around forever. There wasn't a lot of alcohol in my life growing up, but it's so strange that I got it at such a young age. Like, yes that it entered my life at such a young age, considering the fact that my parents didn't drink <laughs> mm. and I wasn't like a kid who would like party or anything. Like I didn't start drinking, like actively drinking and incorporating it into my life until I was in college. Which is quite late. Yeah. Which is quite late. Um, I even like my first boyfriend in high school was, we found out later was an alcoholic and had to like enter recovery at like 17 or something goodness me um but even dating him in the middle of all of that i like never touched alcohol it was like not a part of my life at all um yeah i'd love to pick your brain about the the culture around alcohol in the states because yeah. it's somewhere that i've never been and i don't have a great deal of experience um in um but because the legal age is quite high in these states is it is it 21 across the board yeah yeah whereas it's, it's 18 in the uk and I get the impression it's more strict in the US. I don't know if you've ever been to the UK, but it's, you know, it's like ID culture for sure. Yeah, we get ID'd everywhere, basically. Um, I get ID'd especially because I have the face of a child. <laughs> um, you do look very young. Yeah. Hold on to that. Um, oh, I will. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we get ID'd pretty much everywhere. There are, of course, bars where like, especially in college towns um, where like, you know that you can get in because nobody's yeah. really checking. Like they'll look at any card you give them and then let you in. Um, but it's definitely strict. Like a lot of my most vivid memories about like the strictness of alcohol and like being ID'd is like sending our older friends to buy us alcohol in college. Like when we were 20, right. having to send our friends to go buy us liquor off campus. <laughs> and then bring it back to us it's 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 interesting and and it's only because i guess because of the my culture and and and, you know the the the, my experiences and stuff like that um it makes sense to have someone 
B21, uh, you know, a very mature, a relatively much more mature age than 18 um, to be able to make that decision of whether to drink or not. Um, but do you think that having such a, you know, such, such an older age as, as the legal age, does that make it even more kind of almost like tantalizing for someone who is like 19, 20, something like that? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think most of the reason that I drank so much in college was because I wasn't supposed to, mm-hmm. you know, like, and the reason that binge drinking, I mean, this is like a, a not my insight, um, but the reason that binge drinking is so prevalent in America and such a part of like the like American aesthetic it's like the red solo cup parties on like the party campus with the frat bros and the football team and blah 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 um a lot of that is because of the fact that alcohol is inaccessible so you drink a lot of it all at once yes like you have to in there's this i like sort of rush to get as drunk as possible because you don't know whether or not you're gonna get it again. Um, and it's sort of like the forbidden, the forbidden thing. And it's tantalizing that respect. I love, I love these kind of slightly, you know, sl- such mild cultural differences, but, um, and I, I only get this from TV, obviously. Um, but uh, you touched on it um, briefly about the religious aspect of, um, you know, of, um, I, I think it's fair to say the US has got a, a big, much bigger population of um, people who are, you know, are religious than the UK for sure. So there's, there's, there's that kind of, uh, and, and obviously lots of different religions um, uh, as well. Um, but that plays, a, I imagine that plays a big factor uh, into that. You'll have households that are dry households. We don't drink, you know, purely for relig- religious reasons, um, which I, I think is less of a thing in the UK necessarily because it is, religion's kind of dying out a little bit to, to some extent. Um, not that that's a good or bad thing at all, um, but it's just, it's less prevalent over here. This kind of the religious stigma around alcohol and it becomes more of a, like a health thing over here. Um, don't know where I'm going with that, but I, I, lo- I love to see the differences, you know, in, in the different cultures and the different ways of, of kind of thinking about alcohol. Yeah. Um, and, and again, kind of putting these stigmas on, onto it, you know, like uh, of the thing of, once you start saying it's bad, does, does that make it more desirable, you know? And, and, and once it becomes um, a part of something, let's say religion, that as a, as a younger person, you know, maybe you, you know, you're not thinking in the same way as your parents because of that, you know, that kind of generation gap. And, and you start to think, well, I'm not really that into what you're, you guys are into. And, and you're saying that I can't drink because of these religious reasons. And, and maybe, maybe like that makes it more tantalizing again for um you know for for, for, especially for for younger people yeah i mean right off the bat i can think of like 10 different storytelling stereotypes and tropes and and things that are very american specific that are directly linked to the idea that your parents are religious and don't drink and so you rebel and Mm -hmm. that's even like or like you're raised in a strict way where you don't drink and aren't exposed to alcohol and then you like like total 180 just dive straight into it and we see that like the disney channel effect yes we see that play out like in the media with people like miley cyrus and demi lovato and um 
and literally every child actor who's ever been on Disney Channel or Nickelodeon um, or any of these like American children's networks. And we also see it in like the idea of like the pastor's child, like the pastor's daughter, the pastor's son. Um, You see in a lot of TV shows that depict that sort of relationship between a religious leader and their child. Yeah. That their child is going to go out and binge drink and like partake in really dangerous behavior because they're trying to like shed that image from themselves. It's interesting, isn't it? And, and I think um, I get the impression that not a lot of it is backed up with um, more kind of relatable science and social um, you know, kind of reasons why you might want to abstain or stop or, or just or just at least think about alcohol. And I think that's what's kind of missing a lot of the time in the media. Uh, you know, like the, when uh, like alcoholics, for instance, are portrayed in, in the media and stuff, they're kind of like rock bottom, got nothing to live for, they've wrecked everything and and things like that. And, and you know, and you can, as a, as a person that like moderately drinks or socially drinks or is a daily drinker, but doesn't, it doesn't affect them. It doesn't seemingly affect them in, in such a negative way, or they don't realize it. They can kind of distance themselves from that persona of the down and out alcoholic. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's, there's less in the media for that kind of points at, oh, you know, like at, at the kind of the middle of the ground. And that's kind of where, where my listener base is for the most part is these kind of for lack of a better word, normal drinkers, you know, yeah, uh, to, or, or middle of the road drinkers. To I mean, I was certainly a lot, a bit heavier than middle of the road. Um, and there's there's all different scales on these kinds of things, and that's why I don't like it. Like, like I don't really like using the word alcoholic a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, I feel like there's not a lot in in that in in terms of like like media presence, yeah. you know, and a lot not a lot of education around that. This kind of stopping people before they get to that stage. And it, 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 you, it, there's no kind of role. There's not many role models within media that you can identify with as being, I oh, just, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I wasn't an alcoholic, but I just decided to stop drinking because I feel better you know, yeah. or whatever. There's a few. It's so interesting because literally three days ago, two days ago, Miley Cyrus, who I mentioned before with the Disney Channel effect, she did an interview with Variety where she said, I just stopped drinking and doing drugs um, like six months ago because she wanted to just wake up and have a clear head and like be sober all the time. And that like the only reason I I, like don't read variety that often, (laughs) No, but people started sending it to me because they were like, oh, she's sober in the way that you are sort of. Yeah. And that was the first time that I was like, oh, there's another person who's like out in the bigger media world. I don't know much about Miley Cyrus, but I know that I like her. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a really positive step, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. like she's not had to go to rehab. She's not been forced to do this. This has been a choice that's come out of a, a clear um, set of options. Uh, yeah. you know and that's that that's a really refreshing way to look at it um i think but first i want to give a quick shout out to the good folks over at one year no beer 
One Year No Beer have been instrumental during my booze break journey. I signed up to the 90 day challenge on there and the help that both Ruri, Andy, as well as the One Year No Beer Facebook group have given throughout this time has been so valuable. By signing up, I was given access to a ton of helpful resources as well as their amazing Facebook community with over 20,000 members. I get an email first thing every morning with a video highlighting a helpful tip or useful strategies to use throughout the day. Watching these has been such a positive way to start my morning routine and I can't thank them enough. I love One Year No Beer so much that I reached out to them recently and they kindly agreed to help support me in the podcast, which I'm so grateful for. So if you're interested in following in my footsteps and taking on either a 28-day, 90-day or 365-day challenge, you can head over to my website and on the homepage there'll be a One Year No Beer banner that you can click on and sign up for your challenge. I can highly recommend the guys at One Year No Beer and by signing up through my website you'll be helping to support the show, which would really mean a lot to me. But for now, back to the episode. Can you um, talk me through your relationship with with alcohol prior to stopping drinking entirely? Yeah. um, Before I stopped drinking entirely, I sort of really lessened the amount that I drank. Um, I went from drinking pretty much like three, four days a week and drinking pretty heavily three, four days a week um, to drinking maybe like once a month, twice a month, only at like social events. But at those events... I would have like two or three drinks, which for my body was drinking a lot. For mm-hmm. other people, maybe it's not. But for me, what I didn't realize was that my, the way that my body reacted to alcohol was making me sick. Mm-hmm. Just from two or three drinks? Just from two or three drinks. So I would wake up and sometimes have like, like basically the symptoms of alcohol poisoning, but I'd had like two drinks the night before. Yes. And so it was really confusing, really traumatic. (laughs) And then um, I sort of stopped for a while for like three months. And then almost a year ago in August, I uh, ended up, uh, I went out, had like a, like a night where I had like three or four drinks, woke up, same thing happened where I woke up with the symptoms of alcohol poisoning. I ended up in the hospital and then I stopped for good. (laughs) Amazing. I've known people like that as well. This kind of um, almost like a reaction to alcohol, yeah. you know, and they don't, they don't drink a great deal or if they do, that's in really, really small quantities and um, you'll have a night with them. And I've, I've experienced this and um, it's an ex-girlfriend of mine, actually. Um, her dad, um, I won't mention his name, but he, um, he would have horrible reactions to having a drink. Um, and it, it didn't always happen. And he never drank that much. A, a, a silly amount to have such a reaction to it. You think, God, something's not agreeing with you here. And you think, well, is it a certain type of drink? Is it these things? Is it that? Is it, is it food and alcohol combined and stuff? But you'd be so poorly for, for days, you know? And like I said, like classic, serious dehydration, illness, sickness. Um, and... Uh, it's a good excuse to stop. So w- would you say it was more for health reasons than anything else then? Yeah, it was definitely more for health reasons. And sort of after the fact, I realized that it was good because it alleviated all these other pressures in my life. And I sort of started to see that my relationship with alcohol had had also been like, like flawed in a way. Like I had been viewing it as something that it wasn't like as a social tool and as like an emotional crutch and all of these things, even if I wasn't drinking a lot, um, I still didn't have like a healthy relationship with it. 
So quitting for my health ended up just benefiting me across the board. Amazing. And did you notice the differences pretty much straight away? Yeah. Um, This is going to sound really sort of like I've been okay. I've been learning a lot about like traditional sobriety, which like capital S sobriety, like you go through the 12 steps, whatever. And they have this term called pink cloud, which is like the moments after you get sober, it's like euphoric because like your health starts getting better. Things are really good. You feel really positive. Um, But it's like euphoria. So it's sort of unmanageable and it can feel very manic. (laughs) I didn't know that term until like a few weeks ago. But I would have to say, like, literally lying in the hospital bed where they were, like, hooking me up to a hydration IV, like, to make me feel better from, like, throwing up for basically 12 hours straight, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which was sort of, like, the point when I decided to stop drinking. I was lying in the hospital bed talking to my friend who was keeping me company. And I was just like, I'm just not going to drink again. And she was like, "Okay, uh uh-huh. Like that's sort of like, you're just saying things, you're super dehydrated and you don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, no, no, no. So many people have said that in the past, haven't yeah. they? especially after a binge. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, no, I'm just never drinking again. And suddenly I felt this huge weight lift off my shoulders. And now I think it was sort of like that. Ooh, I made a big decision, sort of like euphoria, like, ooh, mm. this is new. And quite freeing because you've, you've made, you've made that choice. You've not been yeah. forced to make it. Yeah. And it felt, it felt really, um, alcohol often made me feel so out of control that even in that one moment, I was like, oh my God, I took control back. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't even, I didn't give that much over to it. It was just like the little that I had ended me up in the hospital. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, that, that should be an awakening for anybody, shouldn't yeah. it? You know, and, and I've known people in my life who have had their stomachs pumped, you know, and it didn't stop them, you know, yeah. didn't stop me having a diagnosis of, um, of a fatty liver, didn't stop me from drinking for eight months, you know, and even though the cancer word was thrown around a little bit and, um, and uh, some quite, quite stern words. Uh, I think it lasted about three days, two days, something like that. And it was like back on it. You know, sometimes it, sometimes you need to come to these decisions in a, in a different way, in a roundabout yeah. way, rather than being told you need to stop. Um, sometimes you need to just, it needs to be a moment and you can't explain it. You yeah. know? And it's probably the combination of several different things and several different factors. And um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's like, I've totally experienced this. It's called pink cloud. Yeah. Pink cloud. I like that. I like that. Um, <laughs> I've definitely experienced that kind of euphoria and I, I'm desperately trying to hold on to it, to be fair. I'm desperately trying to hold on to this amazing positive um, kind of thing because um, uh, I'd like to be that person. I'd like to be that happy all the time, ready um, and, you know, available to anybody in, you know, emotionally type situation, which I feel like I am better at at this stage. Um, but I definitely don't want to get complacent about the fact that I feel great and just go back to just, this yeah. is, this is the new norm and I'm, it's kind of boring. You know, I, I like, I like it being a little bit, um, special. It's probably yeah. the best word to describe it. So were there any challenges along the way, you know, from, from that moment, if you, if you struggled at all? Uh, yeah, mostly it's been struggling with, 
not so much the desire to drink because that was like cleaned out of my system. Yes. Um, and I was very lucky in that respect and that like, I don't, I don't ever like want to drink again. I've never like looked at a drink since that day and been like, Oh, if I only have a sip and I've never wanted to get drunk again, it just sort of literally just rewired my entire brain to think that alcohol was just not for me. Um, but if you could put that in a pill, you would make an absolute oh fortune, God, yeah. couldn't you? <laughs> How cool would that be? A pi- an epiphany moment pill. Yeah. Oh my God. That would be whew, so lucrative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the uh, Yeah, but struggles along the way have mostly been struggles with how to readjust my life around it. Okay. And socially how, or? Socially, um, and not just socially, like, like in groups or at parties, but socially with like my closest friends. Uh, I moved into my apartment, um, like 10 days after I, I was in the hospital. Okay. I was moving in with my best friend and our other friend from college and how they knew me was that I drank would go out party and dance Mm -hmm. and do all of that stuff um when i moved in with them when we signed the lease i was still that person when i moved in with them i was totally sober (laughs) okay so a shock to those guys then yeah and so i then spent like the first few months of our roommate relationship figuring out how to socialize with my roommates in a way that made me feel comfortable and didn't impose, didn't feel like I was an imposition on them and their like good time mm-hmm. because they, we lived in a neighborhood where there was like three really popular bars right outside of our apartment. Yes. And a really cool club, like right around the corner and another like kind of like world famous club, like two blocks away. Um, And we had like a liquor store around the corner with like a cute guy who sold wine. And like, how do you, all of those narratives that you like share with your friends around alcohol, how do you navigate them when the expectations change? I guess is the best way to put it. Because, I mean, it was like my my best friend who Mm -hmm. our relationship has shifted around the idea that I don't drink anymore um not in a major in, way but in small ways in a negative way in in mostly like uh we used to part of the way that we used to sort of solidify and cement our friendship and 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 a lot of the ways that a lot of our memories together are so closely tied with alcohol yes like how do we do the whole like living in the city being young women going to brunch thing without drinking yeah and how do you do like weekends on the town flirting with boys without drinking? Mm-hmm. The dynamic changes. Yeah, it just ch- it changes a little bit and it's totally easy to navigate, but it's still something to navigate. And you've, I think in some respect, you you feel like because because the, the memories are special, aren't they? You know, yeah. you, you have these you have these memories, you have these situations, you have a, a scenario that you enjoy when you're with this person and you often do these kinds of things and that you look forward to those kinds of things. And then you think without alcohol, that's not going to be as special anymore. And I, I've not got that to look forward to anymore in, in some respect. Yeah. Um, 
And that's that. I think that's what a lot of people are afraid to leave behind is the, the, you know, those kind of special, special memories and, and, you know, and reliving those moments um, can, can be challenging with that kind of end of an era dynamic changing type thing, but it doesn't have to be like that. I don't think. Yeah. And I honestly, I haven't, I, in my young adult life, I have never been out to clubs more than since I stopped drinking. That's great. Mostly because, (laughs) um, I was so anxious about drinking when I would go out because like, again, like I'm a young woman in like the city, like you never know what's going to happen. Um, there's all this like fear around like, I mean, not to get super dark, but like assault and getting your drink drugged or like people making a move on you who you don't want. And and, and New York's a scary place as well. I, I imagine, you know, these kinds of things aren't as prevalent where I live in the countryside in <laughs> the UK. Um, but, uh, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be more of that in big metropolitan cities for yeah. sure. And then on top of that, well, not on top of that, but because I didn't, because I didn't drink anymore, I felt way safer going out because I had all of my faculties. Like I knew what was happening all the time. And in fact, it made me able to stay out longer and like stay up later and like go harder and like dance for hours instead of like dancing, getting too drunk and having to go home, which was kind of great and amazing. That, that And that's a complete contrast to what I've heard from other people in a similar situation that are perhaps a bit older um, in the thirties, late thirties, mm-hmm. early forties, you know, living in London, still living that life. I, I left that life behind a very long time ago. Um, and it was never for me, even in my drinking days, really, you know, um, I just liked the drinking. I didn't really care about the music. Um, and, um, but the, the, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And, and I like that perspective from someone who is a touch younger than me, uh, and certainly a lot longer, younger than quite a lot of people who are getting to this stage of having to reevaluate their alcohol intake, which is, I would say mostly 30 to 50, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm making that shit up, but. Um, I, I definitely, when you hit 30, you start, you start to think about, and, I, and I've spoken to a lot of people, um, in, in this situation, you start to think about your health a lot more and you start to internalize a lot more. Um, because I, I don't know, I, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons. A lot of it's to do with potentially having things like children, career changes, and you start to, um, split off from that kind of destructive kind of party environment type thing, yeah. you know, that, that a lot of people are in in their twenties. Um, so what, what my experience is from, from the people, some of the people that I've spoken to is, um, slightly different in the fact that they can still go out and still have a great time, but they're quite happy to leave early yeah. um, because that, that's the, that's the point when they stop having fun, when everyone else is slaughtered around you, that stops becoming fun for them. And they go, bye, um, I'm going to go and read a book or something like that. But it's really interesting from your point of view that you can still have a great time and still do the things that your friends are doing. Yeah. um, But just with a clear head. I definitely will say though, that there is always a moment where I'm sort of like, all right, I'm going to (laughs) go. You guys have a great time. Walk it off. Have a few more. I don't really care. Just be safe. I'm going to go home and like edit a script or I'm going to go home and stay up for two more hours, like answering emails or even not in a work way, just like stay up for two more hours and like watch some Netflix or something. 
Um, How freeing is that as well? Yeah. That's so cool to, to be able to be productive at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Or whatever, you know? It's wild. That's amazing. And uh, you can, you can, I mean, I don't tend to be these days, <laughs> you know? Um, I like playing board games around about that time of night. I'm super boring. Um, but uh, yeah, it's amazing that you can do that. You can drive somewhere if you really wanted to and go and do something and go shopping yeah. or whatever, you know, especially I'm, I'm sure in New York, pretty much everywhere, everywhere is still open at the, the ridiculous yeah. times anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very freeing kind of place, but I, I like, I, I like that image of you still, still being able to keep up with everybody at one in the morning or something like that. that uh, that's cool. have a very creative role in, in what you do. Uh, can you explain what you do uh, for me just a little bit more? Because it's like kind of multifaceted your creativity in, in several different ways. Yeah. Um, so I'm a playwright. So I write theater stuff. And I say it like that because I write plays, musicals, monologues for people, scripts for multimedia theater, which is now a thing because of mm-hmm. w- what's happening right now. Sure. Um, and I'm also a musician and a songwriter, and I also do like audio editing, podcasting stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. Those are the three yeah. sort of main things that I do. And if you got, is your friendship circle? Have you have you got a have you got a network or a community around you who are in in a similar kind of thing of you know of being creative? Did you, did you find it? Did you gravitate and have a, a network of friends that are in a, in, a, in other creative spaces like that? Yeah, I'd say my entire network is just creative people. <laughs> um, I've sort of gotten to the point that it's just it's if somebody's like a computer programmer in my friend group, they're also like a musician. If somebody is uh, like a accounts director at a marketing agency, they're also like doing social media management for like a nightclub or something. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people get misunderstood that being a, uh, and I hate to use the kind of a creative, being in a being a creative person doesn't mean you're an artist necessarily. Yeah. Like creativity takes so many different forms. So yeah, you, you, but people a lot of a lot of the time I think you get this sense of it's either got to be visual art or music production or something like that. But you can totally be a creative thinker um, in so many other elements that you think sound a bit more corporate. But yeah. um, you know, it's it's. I've always thought of creativity as just problem solving. That's pretty much it. Yeah. You know, in some respects. Um, so I've al- I've always been interested in this process of creatives having a special relationship with alcohol. I would say is a be- the best way of, of of framing it. And drugs. This podcast isn't really about drugs, but um, I think the two go hand in hand. I mean, if you really uh, if you really bring it down to its core, alcohol is definitely a drug, as as is caffeine um, and things like that. Um, so I, I've, I'm interested in the relationship that creatives have with alcohol, um, and uh, because my friendship circle, most of them again are, are creatives, and for the most part, we're all pissheads. You know, <laughs> we're all we're all, we're all <laughs> drinking, and, we're, and we've all got some sort of relationship with alcohol. And ever since I've um, started up the podcast. I've had more feedback from my creative friends than anybody else, you know, and it's not because they're, they drink more. It's just, they've got, a, like I say, a special relationship with alcohol. It's not binge drinking. It's not because it's part of their 
um, you know, kind of like football circle or something like that, or, you know, it's, you know, they're not, you know, like it's not, it's not necessarily about pub culture or, or anything like that. It's, it's a different kind of association with alcohol. And uh, I think you find that more creatives are susceptible to a reliance on alcohol. Would you, would you agree with that? 100%. Um, the only people that I know who are, A, who stay sober enough to meet their deadlines, but B, also get totally trashed when those deadlines are met are the creative people in my life. Yeah. Um, like I think about, I have some friends who are in video production um, and they work at like production studios in the city. Those production studios have beer fridges that are open mm -hmm. all day long. Like what other, I mean, that's also so pervasive in New York office culture in general is that the idea of like a beer fridge or a wine fridge or having access to alcohol on a regular basis in the office but you see it so much more in creative spaces where it's just yeah. like there all the time. We had it studio beers, yeah. you know, up until I stopped drinking. Yeah. I've, I've been in situations with, you know, with my, with my friends where we've been drinking and editing when I've worked in studios that have been several different photographers uh, and, and creatives. I've been on like Google hangouts where we've been um, editing until one in the morning and there's just, dual screen, you know, one screen with all of your mates all doing the same thing. None of us are talking, but all of us, all of us are drinking and we're just editing. And, and I, I'd love to explore some of those kind of factors with you. Yeah. Um, I've written, I've, I've written a few of them down because there's, there's, there's numerous and, and I, 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 by no means am I, am I saying that creatives drink more than other people. I, I just think it's a, it's a different relationship because so many, so many people drink that aren't necessarily in, in the industry. I came across this amazing article and this isn't me being super clever. This was a Google search um, and it was from the Hollywood reporter. So I don't know how justifiable all this stuff is, but um, this article, and it really sort of gelled with me. The brighter you are, the higher the incident of uh, alcohol use and binge drinking. Uh, there was a study carried out in the UK and the US. That's quite poignant for this podcast. Yeah. Um, they point out that um, when you possess an above average IQ, for each 10 points higher, it's almost a linear relationship between intelligence and the amount you drink. And I found that fascinating. And I've never associated IQ with um, creativity, which is, I found was interesting. And apparently that's because um, so many of these creative folks possess an openness to experience and an increased level of risk taking. But it also largely seems to be an attempt to numb themselves to endure their creative angst. And I was like, oh. <laughs> preach um uh, and, and i just thought well, yeah maybe May, you know and, and I'm, i can definitely relate to some of that um but i i thought about this kind of thing for a while and i thought okay creatives what do we do we think a lot mm -hmm. we internalize a lot we produce and then stop um i think that that makes one of the, one of the things that's, that's that's always been a part of my life is go really really hard and then completely cut whatever you've been doing. It's almost like you go 100, 110% and there needs to be some release. And that's usually with alcohol. It's almost like I can't keep going anymore on this project, on what I'm doing, on what I'm thinking about. And then you bosh a bottle of wine yeah. or like a ton of beers and whiskeys and it get, and, and binge drink, essentially. Have, have you got any experience in that? Or do you know people that have done similar things? 
Yeah. Um, I relate to that so hard and I didn't realize it until you just phrased it the way that you did. Because as a person who's creative in a lot of different aspects of my life, I often have so many projects going at once Absolutely. that there's never really, I'm never really done ever. Um, which is so, so cool. And I love it and I would never trade it for anything, but it, it is really exhausting. And when I sort of had a lighter load of projects, I would get so stressed out and put so much pressure on myself that by the end of that period, when I was done, the thing was handed in and it was over. All I wanted to do was drink until my face didn't feel like a face anymore. <laughs> like not even that it was numb, just like I was like, like outside my body, you know? Yep. And, uh, and that was because I wanted that release. I wanted to relax. And it's because I like aligned alcohol with like relaxing. I aligned partying mm -hmm. with relaxing, which honestly, hanging out with your friends is not not relaxing. Um, no. But maybe filling your whole body up with like basically like cheap $10 grain alcohol is like not relaxing, you know? No. No. <laughs> um, and yeah i think that the the idea that creatives deal with a lot of pressure and deal with a lot of stress is totally true and i don't think that they're the only industry i don't think we're the only industry that deals with it but i think no. it's a very particular kind of pressure and stress in that we're often self-advocating we're never off when you're talking to somebody and then you find out they could potentially like be somebody you could work with suddenly you're you're back on again it like never ends um, it's one of those careers where people are constantly questioning the validity of what you do. <laughs> um, yeah, and 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 that that can come from internally as well. Yeah. I think. Somehow, like I think alcohol can be a release to that uh, it, because it just stops that inner voice a little bit, and you can shut off. And I think um, alcohol does this weird thing of letting you focus on something else. I think, um, and you touched on it so well there that you have so many things going on in your life. And I think a lot of creatives strive for that because I think the thing that I hate the most is doing one thing all the time. Uh, and that's why, you know, even, even within my creative process, if I just did one type of photography, I'd hate it. And I've, and I've done that and I hated it. And, and I've, and I found by accident that doing lots of different things is the only thing that keeps me happy but it's also really stressful i'm a photographer and i do lots of different kinds of photography that cater towards my skills with um mostly portraiture and people and we do but i also do video production uh, i do this podcast now i teach photography and video production but you start to kind of factor all of these different things that you um craft almost um and uh yeah, some, somehow there's got to be a release, hasn't there? And, and um, I think alcohol can, for some people, can kind of take that place. And it's not a particularly healthy way of doing it. Um, there's another article that I spotted that's, that was really interesting. This one's from Psychology Today. So that sounds very credible. <laughs> and it says, uh, why might being intoxicated lead to improved creativity? Because this is something that I was interested in it is a lot of people have got this idea of alcohol being a creative juice, you mm -hmm. know, this kind of elixir of creativity. Uh, and you think back to the, the poets who were drinking absinthe, you know, and, and getting all these amazing wild ideas and stories and stuff. 
Uh, so this article from the uh, Psychology Today uh, says, why might being intoxicated lead to improved creativity? The answer has to do with alcohol's effect on working memory, which is something I'd not heard of before, um, the, which is the, uh, the brain power that helps us keep what we want in mind and what we don't want out. So research has shown that alcohol tends to reduce people's ability to focus on some things and ignore others, which also happens to benefit creative problem solving. It almost allows you to focus on one thing and stop focusing on all of the other stuff that's going on in your head. For the, for the way that I think of this is interesting ideas to just sort of come in and, and, yeah. and more unique ways of kind of problem solving i don't know where I'm, i don't know where i've gone with that but i found that interesting the fact that because i've always said alcohol creates creativity is bullshit but apparently there's some studies that, that kind of show that actually that they, this weird numbing of your mind um can potentially affect your creativity uh, which i found really interesting because i've poo-pooed that idea from the get-go uh, yeah. from other studies but there, this is one study um but i found that interesting this fact that it, it changes it doesn't just numb your brain, but it changes the way you think in, in a certain way. Have you had any experience of being more creative under the influence, do you think? Not in a way that is directly linked to any of the art that I was making, but I can see a lot of instances of like creative problem solving coming out of drinking. I mean, like- yes. Drinking as like a college student, you invent a lot of stuff, lots yeah. of drinking games, lots of weird apparatuses to drink out of. It's like a like a weird brain trust creative playground when you get a bunch of college students with very little money together and you're like, all right, figure out how to have a night. <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. And people, it's it's incredible. People who you don't expect to like come out with like the best idea of the night do. Would I say it's very applicable to <laughs> the work that I do? No, not at all. I've, I've never been a better photographer under the influence, but I've definitely had yeah. noticeably interesting ideas <laughs> under the influence, for sure. I'd always keep the notes app on my phone open when I was drinking so that I could jot stuff down. But I like writing is so aligned with this idea that like this weird mythic figure of like, the like the drunk writer like you have like Hemingway and literally all of the writers from that period that everybody looks up to were alcoholics with a capital A <laughs> did tons of drugs um and were under the influence a lot and then suddenly you have things like phrases that are in the zeitgeist like write drunk edit sober mm -hmm. all of these things None of that is true. Being creative is only part of being a creative person who's also a professional artist. And I think that's where my brain goes like, you can't do that if you're trying to make anything that other people can consume, even if it's not for money. Like just showing up and being present is so hard to do when you're drinking and like incorporating substances into your creative process. And I say that and also have a caveat, which is that I know a lot of people use to positive or negative, neutral, whatever um, effect, use alcohol and other substances to self-medicate for mental health issues, in which oh, case yeah. that like that can be the thing that unlocks you if you keep if you have something like anxiety or 
bipolar disorder or something like locking you up behind a wall, self-medicating, although not recommended at all. Absolutely not. No. But <laughs> um, it's just the truth um, that a lot of people turn to alcohol to self-medicate without even realizing that they're doing it. And they turn to like weed to self-medicate and um, like things like Adderall and whatever prescription mm-hmm. drugs. But um, So sometimes that can be the thing that unlocks you because you didn't realize that you were stuck in the first place. That being said, I've also taught writing to college students a bunch. And um, I can tell when people wrote their thing drunk and thought that they were going to come out sounding like Hemingway. (laughs) Yeah, I remember looking at my dissertation uh, from university. There was definitely bits of it, especially towards the end when the deadline was turning up, when I I I was writing it drunk. And I'd come back to the next day and be like, what a load of shit this is. I've repeated this several times. The language is awful. It's because there's this element of, you, 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 I think it's well known that you lose some level of inhibition when you, you're under the influence and you take more risk. Um, and it goes back to that kind of risk-taking thing. And you think about all the things that you've done where you've taken more risk, you know, and, and um, you've been more experimental. No, not just creative processes, but everything, you know, like sex, um, your choice of film, you know, uh, uh, your, like you said, the, the, the thing of, um, uh, you know, creating games in adversity because you've not got any money and it's all you can do. You think about all these things, you, you take risk out of the equation and you do, you know, you become more, a bit more risk taking in, in, in those aspects. So I think there's an element of, of, of that to it. The thing with, mental health is uh, it's really poignant because um i've got an episode coming out tomorrow with um, the anxiety guy from youtube and um we talk about this and this thing of like numbing your mind and your body through alcohol does work for that amount of time that you're drinking to some extent but then the adverse effects are the fact that you've got heightened anxiety and depression for like four days afterwards so then you keep drinking and then it gets worse. And then, then the alcohol doesn't work as well, you know, as you build up this um, tolerance to it. And so, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely not the right way of going about it. And uh, I, I guess it's, it's the same process of, of thinking that, you know, drinking makes you more creative. I don't think it does, but I think you can tap into that bit that you think drinking is, is you know, that, that bit of your brain where you think, okay, um, you know, this is making me more creative. I think you can tap into that completely sober i think it's just a different way of looking at it there's um spotify has these ads on youtube right now that are like the best advice i've ever gotten one of them is from phoebe bridgers who's like a singer songwriter uh she said that the best advice that she ever got was i think from her bandmate and it was take everything that you say as a joke seriously so every time that you're like Oh, wouldn't it be so funny if I like, for instance, like started a podcast talking about my sobriety? That's literally what I told myself. And I didn't, I mean, I saw this ad, it's like running right now on YouTube. It like started like two weeks ago. But that's the thought process I had when I was starting my podcast, because I was like, wouldn't it be so funny if I created like a little space for myself to talk about this? Nobody's going to listen to it, whatever. But then I sat down and took it seriously and committed to it and did it. And I think that that's part of that, like lowering your inhibitions and taking risks is 
like telling yourself your instincts are correct as a creative follow them pursue them your work will feel more honest you'll feel more proud of it it's like a domino effect of trusting yourself um gaining the tools to trust yourself too because it doesn't just like come overnight and then like going ahead with it absolutely that's a really nice way of putting it i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that <laughs> I just want to take a quick break to let you guys know about my Patreon. So if you're liking the content that you're listening to uh, on the Booze Break podcast, you can actually show your support by going over to the Booze Break website, which is boozebreakpodcast.com. Right at the top there, there's a little button that says donate. You can click on there and it goes straight to my Patreon page. This is where you can actually pledge a sum per month to help support the the show and me. First of all, that's really generous and, and thank you. But also you do get um, some benefits to that as well. Different tiers that you can um, go to. There's actually this legend, warrior and godlike behemoth. With the legend tier, which is just £7.50 a month, uh, you can actually get access to new episodes before they get released on their official release dates. And uh, you can cancel this at any point. Of course, you're not tied into anything necessarily. With the uh, Warrior tier, which is £15 a month, you get early access to the episodes, you get a, a coveted Booze Break sticker and access to the private Facebook group for people who are on a booze break and, and want to join a community and help support each other and with you know with positivity and hints and tips. And then you've got Godlike Behemoth, which is £30 a month. If you donate that, you're an absolute star and, and I can't thank you enough. With this, you get early access to episodes, you get a shout out on one of my podcasts, uh, you get the Booze Break sticker, you get access to the private Facebook group, and you also get an epic Booze Break t-shirt as well. So any support that you guys could give would mean a huge amount to me. Uh, notoriously, podcasts don't don't earn a great deal. So any bit that you can give would, would make a huge difference and it just keeps me motivated and, and able to be producing content and taking the time out to do research and, and put these episodes out. So I thank you. Back to the episode. Uh, do you think creatives are more susceptible to mental health? Yes. Um, I think the, uh, there have been tons of studies about it that I've seen and read over the years, but especially in theater, mental health issues are a huge thing because in all of those studies, theater is ranked usually the highest, um, the industry with the most mental health issues. And I'm not exactly sure what the factors are, but you're dealing with an industry that relies entirely on empathy. Yes. And entirely on like personality, basically. Even when you're not on stage, even when you're not an actor, everything in theater is about your reputation in the industry, which I'm putting in huge air quotes here because <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, but like even as a playwright, like somebody who's never really at the forefront of like being seen and having my face out there, like a lot of my interactions with people are based on my personality and who I am as a person instead of my work. And so you get a lot of people, a lot of people with anxiety, a lot of people with de depression, a lot of people with undiagnosed other assorted things um, that they're dealing with. And the conversation around mental health in the theater industry has has increased, which is great. Mm -hmm. However, there's also still this mentality of like, theater isn't for everyone. So if you can't hack it, like you just can't do it. Like you're just not built for it. But the reality is that theater, the theater industry, especially in America, but um, 
I haven't heard dissimilar things in the UK, uh, is is built on the idea that you will sacrifice your body, your mind, and your emotions for like a play that runs for three weeks. That's the expectation. And so when you're training, and it all comes back also to like how you train young people to be in the theater industry. When you're training them in like a conservatory and in that conservatory, they're being told, we're gonna expect you to pull all-nighters. Here's a cheat sheet on how to stay awake for that long on day one. Or like, we're expecting you to, even if you have an injury, show up to dance class every single week and dance as much as you can. Or even if you literally just had a mental breakdown and was in inpatient care, we're still expecting you to come to class the next week. It's gotta be so stressful. It's so stressful. And then that's what you expect when you leave. And I've sort of taken, um, I wouldn't say a huge step back, but I've taken like a tiny step back from the theater industry, mostly because I could see that the way that my career is heading would require me to sacrifice a part of myself that I'm not willing to give up. That's mostly like my ability to be happy, have money and also feel free enough to make the art that I want to make. But yeah, it's it's an interesting statistic that people in the theater community have the highest level of mental health issues out of all creatives. Did you come across any negative reactions to your decision to stop drinking from friends, family, people that you spoke to, anything like that? Um, I wouldn't say like outright negative, but there are people that I don't talk to anymore. And it's not necessarily because there was like a big blowout or a big confrontation or any sort of like weird comment. It was just that some of my friendships were based on drinking and I'm never drinking again. So those friendships sort of dissolved. And when I say based on drinking, I mean, the majority of what we would do was go out and drink together. But I realized after the fact, after I'd stopped drinking, that a lot of those conversations we were having while we were drinking were about what we were drinking. Like, you know, those people who you go out with and you're like, what are you drinking? Oh, my God. Like that, like cool IPA from that. And then you like just talk about drinking the whole time. Mm -hmm. And then you realize at the end of the night, all you've done is like gossip, complain and talk about alcohol. Yes. And those people are still like good people, I guess, but they're just yeah, not, yeah. they don't fit into my life anymore. Um, and I also have had people be very defensive about their drinking to me. That happens a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. They'll be like, yeah, you, oh, you don't drink. I, I only, I only drink like once a week. Like I only drink, I know this is like my third glass of wine tonight, but like, I only, I only have like two drinks tops and like, totally. I, <laughs> And they're like, I always drink water, you know, I'm just like trying to be healthier and like not drink as much. And then they're like on their fifth cup and they're like, and I'm really like, well, and then suddenly there's no conversation anymore. Um, yeah. It's hard, isn't it? It's, it's vegetarians have been, have been going through that for years. Though, yeah. you know? we're, we're, we're new on the scene. Vegetarians <laughs> have had it way worse than us. I'm, I'm completely plant-based and, uh, but even through bouts of being like a vegetarian and stuff throughout my, my life. Um, especially in my circles of friends, not necessarily the creatives, but just like my mates, you know, lads, um, I'd get ripped into about that. You know what I mean? And, and they're like, oh, I'm not, I'm never eating anything without meat on it. That's a ridiculous thing. Yeah. I'm like, well, what'd you have for breakfast? 
Yeah. You ever had, yeah, like what would you put like bacon on your cereal? <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? And um and but yeah, you instantly kind of go and, and it's like it's it's quite difficult, isn't it? And I imagine a lot of people who are going through a booze break or or, or just making a decision to stop completely, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to come across that uh, kind of conversation. And it's quite difficult to respond because you don't want to preach and you kind of don't want to say, well, alcohol, did you know that alcohol is one of the biggest causes of cancer and, and uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, you don't want to rant on about it. Um, it's, it's a difficult subject. And I've not found a good way of getting out of that conversation. But what I've found is the more confidence you have in that decision, the more people yeah. let, let it let it go. That's the, the only thing. The, the only thing that I can. The only uh, piece of advice I can give to anyone who gets challenged on it, you know, in that respect, and has that conversation of uh, uh, of that. Because what do you say to someone that says, "Wow, well, I only drink um, th- this amount of time"? You go, "Great, I don't care." Like, or okay, that's really healthy. Well done. You know, there's there's, <laughs> there's no right answer yeah. to, to to someone telling you how much they drink or how they couldn't give up drinking. Um, but I've, what I found is, um, the more confident I get in this situation, the more, yeah, the, the, the more I give off that energy, the less, the more, the more people are just like, cool, I get it. You know, yeah. did you have any classic responses to, to stuff like that? Or was it just whatever? Uh, I've, I have a lot of experience with it too. I'm not, I was, I was vegan for a while. Now I'm not, I was vegetarian for a while. Now I'm not, but I've cool. always been, I, I can't eat dairy mm-hmm. and I can't eat gluten. Okay. So you've got um, enough problems. Yeah, I've got enough problems. And I also, <laughs> when, I explain, when I explain it to people, I am just like, like even when I was still drinking, I'd explain like my diet to people like offhand, yeah. like they'd be like, do you want to go get pizza? And I'd be like, oh, actually, no, I can't. I can't eat pizza because I will throw up mm-hmm. in front of you yeah. and that won't be cute. Um, yeah. Uh, all of that has been like, oh my God, I could never, how, mm. how do you do that? If I didn't have cheese, I would like die. I'm like, That's not true. Because I don't know how true this is, but I think it's from what I gather from other sources and other people and other books that I've read, it's because all of a sudden these, um, the people that you're speaking to regarding the fact that you don't drink anymore, um, instantly challenges their relationship with alcohol and they yeah. have this kind of um they have to feel and they have to justify it in some way uh and reality the reality is you don't in, unless you were re- unless you're actually concerned yeah. about your alcohol content and, and you, you're ashamed of it um which i was and i'm sure i did it you know i'm sure I, i'm well i even did it to people when i was mm. still drinking and i wasn't drinking that much I would still be like, yeah, like I, I don't drink that often, you know, and I like always drink water. Like I'd say all this stuff to people and it does come from a defensive place of like, I, I knew that there was something wrong with me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I wasn't processing alcohol correctly. This especially came out when I was like, okay, I'm aware that there's an issue. Why am I still drinking? And I was asking myself that question, but I hadn't fully answered it yet. So when people would be like, oh yeah, like I'm sober, I don't drink. I would be like, oh my God, please don't judge me for the fact that I know that something's wrong with me, but I'm still drinking. But yeah, no, it's def- I, in my experience, it definitely comes out of a place of like, the status quo is this. And maybe I've had questions about it, but they're internal. Like, how did, like, 
why are you coming in here and threatening the status quo of what's happening right now? Mm-hmm. And it happens, especially in my experience, in bars and at happy hours and at office events where people are drinking. They're just like, no, it's totally fine that I'm getting drunk at 5 p.m. on like a Thursday in the office. It's fine. <laughs> it's 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 an it's an interesting one. There's a lot of psychology behind it. And I was yeah. there. I was totally there. I was the worst one, probably. Have you found that having been alcohol free for a decent amount of time, that you have made new relationships with people surrounding the fact that you don't drink? Has that become a factor in new relationships? Yes. Yeah. I've made friendships since I have stopped drinking that are founded on like a kind of like beautiful foundation of just interacting with another person, which I didn't realize how rare that was in my circle until I started doing that. But I also found that some of my friends that I've had since like freshman year of college, um, they've started reaching out to me more and being more involved in my life. And I don't think they realize it, but I've had people start to like ask me questions about my sobriety and like ask me questions about not drinking and like turn to me as like a resource in a way. But I'm not I'm not in a place with alcohol where there's a potential for me to slip up or starting to drink again and being in a different relationship with alcohol would be a threat to me in the way that it is for other people who are alcoholic, recovering alcoholics um, or are just in recovery, whatever term that they're using. So. It doesn't bother me that much, but it's definitely interesting to suddenly become like the person that people come to with their questions. Yeah. You become a positive role model. I guess so. By accident. Yeah. <laughs> I felt it. And, you know, I, and, and, I've, and I've, uh, I've, I've created situations because I've embraced that to some extent, um, you know, with, with, with Booze Break and with um, the community that I'm building on social media and stuff like that. And although, there's, there's a limit to that, of course. You know, I can't, I can't dedicate all of my time to thinking about not drinking and and, te- and helping people with stuff like that. And there's, there's, there's better places that these guys can go um, that I mentioned in a lot of my episodes anyway, um, because I'm not an expert. And and also, my relationship with alcohol is different. Might be different to theirs, as as mine and your relationship with alcohol is completely different. Yeah. Um, in the fact that. I'm coming from a mild place of addiction, if we're honest. Um, and when it may be not even mild, uh, but there was a um, there was a a conscious decision to go. If I carry on like this, this is become going to become very destructive. Um, and I'm lucky that I I think I'm lucky that I caught it when I did. You know, rather than kind of letting it slip too far and become really difficult. Um, whereas your relationship is somewhat different, but the the thing that comes out of it is kind of the same in that respect. We 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 gain the same things to some extent by being alcohol free, and um you know so it, it, you've instantly first of all you've got something in common. It's a talking point. Um, yeah. Socially, it's a bit easier um, to be hanging out with you if I'm also not a drinker because there's not that question. There's no stress around that, you know. Um, so having that, uh, that element of community is fantastic. The, the reason why I wanted to ask that was because I, um, I was always the boozy photographer and it became such a big part of my identity as a, as a photographer to be the rock and roll photographer, you know, this kind of like, whoa, you know, like he's, he's really cool. Like, uh, and this all bullshit terms that I made up in my own, you know, 
self-image. And uh, I wanted people to, to think of me as this like cool rock and roll photographer, as opposed to the guy that turns up in like a three-piece suit or something like that. And, um, and my, I wanted my work to reflect that and stuff. And I always thought my clients were the same. Uh, I always thought my clients were, were gravitating towards that. And I think to some extent they were, but it wasn't necessarily around the alcohol. It was just about the, maybe my personality and we just gelled with each other. It was really interesting because I did a photo shoot last night with a beautiful couple and we were having a great conversation and I hadn't seen these guys in ages. Um, they booked me for their wedding and it's had to be postponed and, and stuff like that. So we did this little couple shoot. And I just, I remember saying, I remember why I loved you guys so much when we met, when we first met, we had the best conversation. We had so much in common and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I just loved them. Um, they're just lovely people. And what was really interesting was we started talking about, let's catch up. Let's, let's hang out as a, you know, as two couples or whatever. And, um, it, and it just, it just came out that uh, one of them hasn't drank for two years. And I just sort of thought, and it, instantly the relationship went to another level because all of a sudden we've got this thing in common and, we, and we're like, oh, we've, we've got the same experiences. We can do the same stuff. We have the same, this is why we're having a, such an amazing conversation. It's probably not just because of the fact that we don't, they don't drink and by proxy, um, her fiance doesn't really drink as well because it just, that's, that's how their dynamic works. Yeah. And, um, I, I just, I find that fascinating that all of a sudden you, um, start to build relationships based to some extent on your, um, you know, it, it can be the fact that they, uh, you have that thing in common of the fact that you, you both don't drink or you don't drink a lot, um, or you're not drinking for the time being. So it's purely based on their personality and your relationship and how much you like each other as opposed to just, I can tolerate you because we're drinking. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's something, the thing that I've been seeing with like my friends turning to me and like, like asking me questions and stuff like that. It also kind of goes both ways in that, like I have friends who just don't drink as much as my other friends do and, or friends who don't drink at all or used to not drink and now have that like weird sort of like, I'll have a glass of wine on like a Sunday night relationship with alcohol. And I've been able to connect with them on a deeper level because they're no longer stressed, which I didn't realize stressed around me because I was one of their friends who drank. And now I'm one of their friends who also doesn't drink. And so it's, it's opened up a lot of possibilities for me to create deeper relationships with people that I already know, mostly because I had been like totally not my intention at all, but like cutting them off to an extent. That's interesting. And it's based on your, the things you have in common, your um, mm -hmm. conversations, your values, stuff like that. You know, I think a lot of people who go through a stage, even if they're not um, taking a break from alcohol or if they're not stopping drinking completely, um, I think a lot of us have been in a situation where we've been with a group of friends, let's say from a university or college, and um, your entire relationship with this group of friends is the fact that you went out and got drunk and went to lectures. So you, you went through the whole cycle of drinking with them, getting to know them through drinking. Yeah. Um, anytime you saw them was either partying with or, with, or, or, you know, just drinking in general and being hung over with each other. And that was it. And then all of a sudden, Let's say you're in a situation where it's something in the day and you shouldn't be drinking, but you happen to be with this group of friends and you realize how little you have in common with them apart from these interesting and fun memories. Um, but actually 
you shouldn't really be friends. If you met them on the street at that in uh, you know at that time, brand new, you wouldn't hit it off with them at all. Um, and that's an interesting thing. I think that's what a lot of people can expect to find. You find your friends less interesting. That's a horrible way of putting it, but it's true. No, it's so true. And I definitely went through a period where I like figured out that a lot of the people that I was holding on to so tightly, they were threat is a really loaded word, but they were always asking me to drink. They were always asking me to stop being healthy and stop putting myself first and drink. And I'm again, very lucky that I, that was not a direct threat to a very shaky, like recovery situation. This was just like a very level-headed decision I made without addiction in my life and very lucky for that to be the case. But that level of pressure and like weird, like insistence that I still be the same person was so much. And I was so relieved to sort of lessen my contact with those people, if not cut them out completely from my life. But there was also this I talked about this a little bit in my podcast, <laughs> but there was this weird time when I was in university where I took on this like other persona where I was like, like bad girl Izzy. <laughs> like Ooh. I would like, like dress up and like get really drunk and like flirt with people and like make risky decisions. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like 19, 20, 21. And, and that's what I was doing at that time. The people in my life who I don't talk to anymore still think of me that way. And there is nothing that I do that can change their mind. Like I am solidified. I can't grow as a person in their eyes. And the like number one thing that I've learned over the course of this past year, not drinking and sort of protecting that part of myself is that you have to sort of protect it. If you're dedicated to like not drinking and people are like telling you that, um, People are telling you that you should be, you should be their definition of you. You can't change or grow at all. That's just the definition of a bad friend, a very basic level and a bad relationship in your life. If it's not a friend, if it's a partner or whatever. Um, Also dating has been horrible. (laughs) Speaking of partners. um, Oh, really? Well, it's just been, it's been interesting to navigate a dating scene in a city where every social interaction is a drink at a bar. And then suddenly you're like, all right, so we're going to meet here, but there's something you should know about me. I don't drink. And the other person's like, but can I drink? Like, (laughs) but can I get drunk? And like, you just stay sober and we'll just do exactly the same thing as normal. Mm -hmm. But like, you'll be sober the whole time. I've never thought about that because I'm I'm very lucky in the fact that I don't don't have to date anymore. (laughs) Um, and, And long may that continue. I've got an amazing wife and who also doesn't drink. And um, I can't imagine how difficult that is for you, especially where you live um, and especially in the situation that, that, that that's in. And I've never thought about it. So, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? If someone says um, to you, I guess it's dependent on the situation. It's dependent on the person, but let's say you have no idea who this person is. You like the look of them on online. You've maybe been chatting a little bit and then you say to this, you say to this individual, by the way, I don't drink, but let's meet up. And they say, I do drink. Is that okay? What's your answer to that? I honestly, 
there's the things that I've said and the things that I wish I said. Um, and the things that I've said are like, yeah, okay, sure. It's totally fine. But now based on experience, I would say, let's not meet at a bar then let's meet somewhere else. Like I would change the location of the first time that we meet up because oft, so often I'm meeting people for the first time and we're at an event where there's drinking involved. And it's interesting because I was dating, I was in a very interesting, weird, the world did not want me to date kind of situation where I started dating somebody very casually right before New York city lockdown, <laughs> the okay. whole world kind of stopped. Um, he lives in Brooklyn. I am now upstate. Okay. So there's where we have stopped talking. <laughs> there's no further interaction. But I did notice at one point, like he was drinking every time that we hung out and I wasn't. And I thought that I was okay with it. I was trying to be like cool with it. But I've been doing a lot of like introspective thinking about it while I've had all this free time to do so. Yeah. And... I don't really think I am okay with it in, in the fact that we didn't have a conversation about it. I, I imagine that doesn't come from a place of judgment. No, not at all. It's, it's just one less thing that you have in common. Yeah. And it turned out we didn't have a lot in common when you take apart the, when you take away like physical location being shared by each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have like mutual friends that we don't see now and all of that, take all of that away. And we were just like two strangers trying to maintain like a non pseudo relationship over mm -hmm. text message in the middle of a global pandemic. <laughs> it's gotta be tough. I think that's, yeah. that, that's, that's another podcast in itself. I, I oh, mean, yeah. maybe, we, maybe we could do that dating sober with Izzy. <laughs> we could do that. We could make that happen. <laughs> Um, I think that'd be, I think that'd be a really interesting podcast. Actually. I don't, I don't think that's an episode. I think that's a series. I think we need to get through lockdown first just to oh, start yeah. really put, putting that one into practice, but maybe I'll check in with you in two years time. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Time, and you can, we'll have some stories then. Um, cause thankfully I can't relate at all. That's fascinating though. And I, I, like I say, I've never had to think about it. I've never had to think about how would I feel? But yeah, if, um, if, if I was meeting someone for the first time and, and we didn't have that, that in common, it would factor in. I've never thought about it. That's fascinating. I didn't think it was going to factor in as much as it did. I honestly was like, I was dating and talking to people who drank pretty often and it was like a big part of their life. And I was just like, these are just the people that I would have talked to before. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I didn't, I didn't give it enough weight and enough importance that like I needed to, I couldn't just do the normal thing of like, oh, we like hook up drunk and then figure everything out. Mm -hmm. I needed it to figure everything out first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you're coming at it from a clear head as well, aren't you? You are instantly, I think, I think from, from a point of view of someone who doesn't drink, you become more conscious of your time. You're less conscious of time when you're drinking, I think. And you are more okay with stimulus that isn't that healthy and that isn't that good for you. And that isn't that interesting because who gives a shit? I'm drinking. Everything's yeah. better or whatever, you know, everything doesn't matter. Um, but I think, you know, when you, you, when you go into a situation like that and you've got a clear head and you know what you want and if it isn't right, I'm not, I'm not settling. 
uh, I imagine is, yeah. is what how I how I might go about it. But again, <laughs> I don't know. But I, I'd love to check in with you on that um, uh, another stage. This has led us perfectly on to talk about your beautiful and amazing podcast, Lowercase Sober. Can you give us an introduction as to what Lowercase Sober is? Yeah, um, Lowercase Sober is um, a podcast about not drinking in your twenties very specifically. Um, the first few episodes that are out right now are just about me not drinking in my twenties, but part two that's coming out July 10th actually, um, is conversations with other people in their twenties about their relationship to alcohol. Some of them drink, some of them don't. Um, some of them are like me and sort of just stop drinking for whatever reason. Um, some people have addiction in their families. Some people, um, saw addictive behavior in themselves and stopped. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, that's lowercase over. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful and intense, very honest insight into your life. Um, very vulnerable, uh, which I, I think is important, really, for people to relate, because I'm sure a lot of people are going to relate. I related, even though there was a lot of situations that I've never been in. I still relate it to the feelings behind them um, to some extent and the turmoil and the stresses of, yeah. of, you know, of these different situations. Um, I could even relate to the thinking patterns uh, around it. It's, uh, it's, it's beautiful. The music's produced by you as well. Yes. And um, you're, you're an incredible musician. We talked um, briefly before the start of the episode. You should definitely go and check out um, Izzy's music it's on spotify i'm sure it's in lots of the places which i will leave links to um in the show notes i can't i can't wait for the for the interviews i didn't know that was you know where you were going with that that's that's really interesting um i think the way that it's turned out has been way better than i thought it was going to i was really kind of anticipating i i wasn't gonna say i was anticipating failure but i wasn't anticipating the conversations to be as fruitful as they were And they're really cool. Like just being able to talk about alcohol and talk about sobriety, even with people who still drink is such a, like a freeing thing to happen Mm -hmm. because we often don't, I mean, this is an especially American thing, but I'm, I'm sure that it also plays out everywhere. There isn't a lot of room to talk about not drinking when everyone is drinking. Sure. So there's less of an ability to talk about like that anxiety that you get the day after you've been drinking and like you're hungover and your anxiety is suddenly like through the roof and you're overthinking literally everything you did the night before, but you don't talk about it because you're like, cool. Like last night was fun. Your friends also had fun. But the thing that most people don't realize is like pretty much everybody has the same sort of reaction, which is that sort of overthinking thing. I've only talked to like two people who've ever been like, yeah, no, the next day I'm totally emotionally, mentally fine. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about drinking as well, to some extent, is if you are a social drinker, i.e. A bin- like a binge drinker, you're going out with your friends and stuff like that. I've done it. I've checked in on them afterwards. I've been like, man, I feel terrible. What did I do? What did I get up to and stuff? And if they're saying the same things, it's almost like pos- positive reinforcement that it's okay. Yeah. I think once you start to actually be a bit more introspective and start thinking about, actually, this is a horrible feeling. I don't care if anyone else is feeling it with me. I don't want to feel it. Yeah. You know, um, I think it's an amazing thing that you're doing. And I think 
the age group is really interesting because I think coming from someone who's 31, so I'm only, I'm only, I'm only just out of your demographic. Um, <laughs> only just. I think a lot of the damage is done in your 20s. So I think, you, I think you're doing an amazing job because by the time, a lot of the time, by the time you get to 30, for a lot of people, you've, the damage has been done. Um, yeah. It was certainly, certainly the case with me. And so I think if you can educate people and let them know their experiences and let them know that if they are thinking about it, there's a, there's a safe place to, to, to go and that it's okay to think about it. And it is the new rock and roll, I think. It's almost rebellion in that respect, isn't it? Yeah. You know? It feels a lot like that. I think that's literally, I think I literally say that in one of the episodes of Lowercase Over. Do you? Um, Maybe that's where I've got it from. <laughs> but it is, it is this sort of feeling of like, everybody's telling you to drink. Everything is telling you to drink. Mm-hmm. Everybody is telling you that the script of your life is drinking in some aspect. And the fact that you're being like, no, I'm not going to drink. It's not some like folk movement against some oppressive power, but it does really feel like rebellion. It feels like you're being like, ha ha, like, fuck you for <laughs> for making me feel like I need to drink all the time. Like, I'm not gonna. So suck it. <laughs> if you can harness that energy, I think that's brilliant, you know, to, to yeah. go, actually, screw you. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it my way. And, and I think that's a. A, a great place to come from and I think it's getting more popular in the younger generation for sure and it, that blows my mind a little bit I, I'm really happy that that's happening happy yeah. is not the right word but it's I'm you know I'm, I'm happy about it I'm yeah. glad yeah I'm glad that I'm glad that that's becoming a thing and, and that you know the the next generation or the younger generation are not gonna have these issues going forward necessarily or, or certainly less so you did an amazing job. Yeah. I love the podcast. I recommend yeah. any of my listeners to go and check that out. It's so different to this and so amazing. And uh, I love it. It was one of the first podcasts that I ever listened to about this topic, but that comes from it, to, that, that, that attacks it from a n- not specifically scientific and health reason. Would you, would you agree with that? You know, it's, it's not just about, Hey, these are the dangers of yeah. booze. So this is why you shouldn't do it. Um, it's really coming in from a place of, um, like you say, vulnerability and, and personal experience, which, which made it a lot more relatable to me. Yeah. Um, I've been finding that that's, I mean, it's a lot of what my other creative practices are about is storytelling. And I literally couldn't think of doing the podcast any other way. So I'm glad that people are relating to that point, but yeah, I think the, the thing that people have been connecting to a lot is the fact that it's not statistics and it's not just somebody telling you to not drink. Yes. I'm just like talking about stuff. <laughs> I feel and think. <laughs> That's a, it's a great way of doing it because I think, uh, you know, you speak to any doctor, they will say you probably shouldn't drink, you know? Yeah. Doesn't make, doesn't make a stop, does it? You know, I think we need to come at it from a different angle. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if, it's, if it's right for you, um, then you can take in that information and relate to it and, and, and make a choice from there. could give any advice to anyone that's thinking about stopping drinking completely taking an extended break to reevaluate mm-hmm. if you got anything in mind i think i'm going to just i'm going to take something from the greater sober community and just and regurgitate it here sure but that's all i do yeah <laughs> um protect it the effort that you're making protect it don't let other people take it away from you. 
if you're thinking about prioritizing like your health, your mental health, whatever, or you think that you might have an issue with alcohol and you're thinking about quitting, if somebody in your life is shouting at you every day to drink, protect yourself from that pressure and really focus and hunker down. The hardest part about giving up alcohol is not giving up alcohol. It's giving up the fact that your life used to involve it and now it doesn't. Even if it's just for 30 days, even if it's just for a week, the idea that your that your life is changing, like protect it. Protect the fact that you've made those steps. And that can be everything from being super hardline about like the media that you watch to being more broadly just like not keeping alcohol in the house. That's a really good tip. Uh, I think, you know, like you say, any any of those barriers, the barriers that you can throw up yeah. are, are gonna help in big and small ways. And I think all of that is really really valid advice and even if that means walking away from a, a situation a friendship or at least for the time being while you can get your head right and and you know get get to a stage where you fully embrace this new life and you can take on any challenge i think that's that's really really good advice thank you so much izzy where's the best place for my listeners to to find you um you can find the podcast laura k sober on most streaming platforms spotify apple podcasts anchor um, and you can find us also on Instagram at lowercase sober. I will leave links to all of that very interesting stuff, as well as your amazing music, uh, thank in you. the show notes. Izzy, thank you so much. You've, you've taken so much time, uh, to talk to me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I feel like we're friends forever now. Yeah. That's it. Kindred spirits. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> this has been so fun. I'm so glad that I did this. Yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. That was Izzy D'Esposito, uh, host of the Lowercase Sober podcast and all around lovely human being. I hope you found this interview useful and interesting and, and got some takeaways from it. I completely gel with what Izzy said about protecting your decision and a, an achievement to not drink, whether that's a booze break or a lifetime decision to be alcohol free own that decision, uh, be proud of your achievement and look forward to the incredible experiences that lie ahead for you. And don't let anybody threaten your new lifestyle. For now though, thank you so much for watching. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Leave me a review if you can. Connect with me on Facebook and Instagram and I will see you in the next one. Peace!